So, Mr. Winter, if we could just start by giving me a little bit of history about the coroner's service so we can put it in the context of how it sits within the judiciary and what it's there for, what it isn't there for. You know, how, how and why was it created? Coroners, or the office of coroner, goes back to uh, the reign of Richard I, and certainly it can have its origins traced back to 1194, if not longer. So it's a very ancient office. But over the, over the centuries, it has evolved into a death investigation role, a judicial role. And there are currently in England and Wales about 85 coroner areas. To be a coroner, you have to be a, a lawyer with at least five years post-qualification standing. Uh, there are no more doctor coroners. The uh, relevant local authority area has responsibility for appointing coroners and funding the coroner service and providing the infrastructure. So it is very much a, a local service, although since a major reform in 2009 with the Coroners and Justice Act, which was implemented in 2013, we have national leadership with the Office of the Chief Coroner, who issues guidance and law sheets and promotes consistency between those coroner areas. And that's a subject which I'll come back to, as there should be more consistency across the country, given the notification of deaths regulations which came out last year and the rollout of the National Medical Examiner Service. Right. So we'll come on to that in a second. But just going back, so the coroner service, as you said, was set up to investigate death. And in principle, how is this different from other law courts? Is it looking to sort of look at punishment or look at criminal or civil proceedings? Or is it just an investigative role? And then why is it separate from those? Years ago, a lot of the criminal law was based upon what the coroner did. So you could have for example, trial by inquisition, or it would be a prelude to more serious charges being laid once the coroner had made an inquiry. But over the centuries, the role of the coroner has become an inquisitorial jurisdiction. That means we search out the facts, we establish answers to for statutory questions, so who someone was, when they died, where they died, and how they came about their death. And Unlike other courts, they are an adversarial arena usually because there will be a prosecutor, a defendant, and uh, each party is putting a case. In the coroner's court, there are no parties, no one's on trial, and no cases to be put. So the coroner is there to set the scope of the inquiry and to determine the answers to those statutory questions. So although we are not part of the court's judiciary, which the Ministry of Justice has responsibility for. We are very closely aligned and have become closer again over the decades and certainly since the reforms in 2013. So, for example, every coroner has to have two days residential compulsory continuous training every year. Uh, we have induction training. All of our training is uh, under the auspices of the chief coroner, but through the judicial college. Complaints about personal misconduct in respect of a coroner are taken to the Judicial Conduct Investigation Office, the JCIO. And th there's a lot in common between the two areas. When the reformers were going through, prompted by the Shipman Inquiry, there was talk of a, a national service. And in 2013, when the reforms were implemented, it was felt at that stage that it should remain a local service, but nationally led. 
and hence the introduction of the chief coroner's office and all of the benefits that has brought to the coroner's service and to the bereaved. And I guess one thing that kind of surprised me when I was looking into this, as you say, there's sort of more cohesiveness nationally, further agreement on uh, what standards should be met, including who should be referred, largely guided by documents, the notification of death regulations, which are 2019. So up until that point, am I right in thinking that a lot of who was referred was based on local rather than national guidance? That's correct. The position up to last year was that many coroners would issue local reporting criteria based upon their statutory jurisdiction because in law, work of the coroner comes about if they have reason to suspect that a deceased person has died a violent or a natural death or if the cause of death is not known or if the deceased died in state detention, so in prison. As you say, the notification of deaths regulations 2019 expanded and put some more detail into those very discrete areas that a coroner would investigate. People still believe that coroners look at every death and we don't. In England and Wales, there are over half a million deaths registered every year. And the proportion of deaths that are referred to a coroner is reducing. It uh, was down to 40% for the last published statistics by the Ministry of Justice. And 40% of all registered deaths were reported to the coroner in 2019. And of those, there was 39% of those cases went to post-mortem examination. And post-mortem examination may be invasive or it may be undertaken by scanning, the frequency which is increasing. Just going back, so you, you gave sort of the broad brushstrokes of who's referred to the coroner, you talked about unnatural deaths, people who are known, violent, but in the notification of deaths regulations, it also gives very specific circumstances that are pertinent to the medical profession, overdose, poisoning, person undergoing treatment or procedure of a medical or similar nature. Now, if we just take some of these at face value, this would encompass most people in hospital. But how do we narrow down who should be referred, which deaths in particular? I think the key is that the coroner has to have reason to suspect that the death is unnatural. And uh, the starting point for the notification of death regulations is to try and define what is natural. Because if a death is natural, the doctor could then sign the medical certificate as to the cause of death, and the matter would not need to go to the coroner. So the definition within the regulations provides that a natural death is essentially a naturally occurring disease process running its natural course and nothing else is implicated. So if someone had come in with a natural disease process and had an operation on that natural disease process that wasn't successful but wasn't the cause of their death, then that wouldn't be referred. However, if they'd come in for, say, something less acute or elective and had a very complex procedure, that's how you'd begin to differentiate between those two? Yes, but there's a wide margin of discretion there in terms of how the matter may then come to the attention of the coroner. In every case that is referred to the coroner, the coroner will ask the family if they have any concerns. And that's a starting point for many preliminary inquiries that a coroner undertakes. The fact that somebody's had an operation doesn't mean that the operation has caused or contributed to the death. So when I describe an actually occurring disease running its natural course, nothing else is implicated. If, for example, there was culpable human failure or a problem in process or a problem with medical equipment, 
the coroner would expect to find that out and to be told, given the duty of candour that medical professionals and hospital trusts have. So it's sometimes wise to report something to the coroner. It's not about establishing blame. It's about looking at the facts. Many inquiries or even inquests undertaken by a coroner can allay fear and suspicion and can reassure families that everything had been done that could have been done. And, and it's really important that coroners only see the cases that they need to investigate. And the regulations were an attempt to put some more detail upon those provisions within the Coroners and Justice Act, so that it was very clear as to the type of things that the coroner should see. And surgery is always a difficult one, whether it's elective, emergency, or otherwise. And it's a matter which, even at an inquest, for example, as part of the coroner's investigation, the coroner may record a narrative conclusion to the effect that Mr. X died from recognised complications of a necessary surgical procedure. It doesn't have to be recorded as anything else. It records the facts. And we all know that people sometimes present for surgery with comorbidities, which have an impact upon the ability to recover. And it's very important that everyone understands that distinction. But it's important that doctors shouldn't hesitate to report if the matter needs to be considered. And it might be that the doctor has a discussion with the medical examiner in the hospital trust before doing anything, because the medical examiner's service is there to scrutinise what the doctor might write on the medical certificate as to the cause of death. And of course, the last thing anybody wants is for a medical certificate as to the cause of death to be issued and then for the family to present at the registration services and raise a concern, which then finds its way back into the system and needs further investigation after scrutiny. Just backtracking slightly, are there any categories of death that people commonly fail to notify you of? Not some new more work, because clearly with half a million deaths and 40% being referred to the coroner service, I can appreciate you're doing well for business. Well, I think the starting point for any referral, and, and all referrals under the regulations have to be made electronically. So the doctor will have to write out, usually on an electronic format, which goes to the coroner's IT system through a portal, what the basis of the referral is, and attaching any relevant documents. And it might be that when the coroner's team, with coroner's officers employed either by the local authority or the police, look at matters and make those preliminary inquiries that there are no concerns and that the trigger to investigate has not arisen and the trigger to investigate as i pointed out is the coroner has to have reason to suspect it's quite a low threshold that somebody died an unnatural death so many cases in fact are referred to the coroner and nothing comes of them because the duty to investigate is not triggered and then the coroner may suggest that the medical certificate as to the cause of death can be signed and the coroner will send a form known as a Form 100A to the registration services to say that they know about this case and the duty to investigate has not arisen. There are no specific problem areas necessarily, but doctors learn over the years what should be referred and discuss with colleagues what ought to be referred. Some classic examples might be a mesothelioma. That, for me, would indicate the potential for an industrial link. And if that is the case, then that would be captured by the regulations. The other thing to remember is that there may be some other underlying reason for the condition that somebody has died from. So, for example, if somebody dies from a bronchopneumonia because of their quadriplegia, the question the coroner might say is, well, how did the quadriplegia arise? Well, it was from a road traffic collision. That would be something that the coroner might be interested in, depending how long ago it was. So there are lots of things that sometimes people don't always look back on. And that's the importance of speaking to the families who can give you that background information. 
And you mentioned medical examiners. Can you give a bit of background of who they are, what they will do, what I can expect from them, and who they're accountable to? There is now a national medical examiner, and the medical examiner evolved again out of uh, the shipment inquiries many years ago, and that role is evolving. And they are becoming more embedded in the acute hospital trust environments. They are appointed from within the trust. They have very good training. There are regional medical examiners as well. And their job with a natural death is to scrutinize that natural death. So the doctor may discuss with the medical examiner in the acute trust what the cause of death is, what the wording for the medical certificate might be. The medical examiner, with the assistance of medical examiner officers, may look at the case notes, particularly the last admission notes, and they will always speak to the family to see if there are any concerns. Now, if after that scrutiny, everything is fine and there's nothing to worry about and the death is clearly natural that the doctor can sign up to, then the medical certificate as to the cause of death is issued and the registrars of deaths will then issue the death certificate to the family. The medical examiners have a key role in this because the last thing a family wants to do is to present an inadequate medical certificate as to the cause of death to the registrar who then declines to register because that means the family have to be usually sent away and further inquiries have to be undertaken. Families become anxious that there will be a referral to the coroner. Will this mean a delay to the funeral? Will there have to be a post-mortem examination? And it's about getting the medical certificate as to the cause of death right first time every time. And hopefully that will continue to evolve and find its way so that we have medical examiners embedded in primary and secondary care. So medical examiners are doctors, in essence, trained up to um, the required standard part of a national network and their role really is almost a, a conduit between the hospital and coroner service to investigate any deaths from natural cause and refer on anything? The medical examiner and the coroner should have a close collaborative working relationship because the coroner is not going to see things that the medical examiner has approved but there may be cases that the medical examiner feels should be referred to the coroner under the regulations. And essentially what it's trying to do on the pathway of this is to determine whether at the fork in the road the death should go straight to the registration services because it's natural or whether it should take the other fork in the road and go to the coroner and be subject to preliminary inquiries, possibly investigation, possibly post-mortem examination, possibly inquest. But if I tell you that from that 40% of the deaths referred to the coroner every year, not every one of them will find their way to post-mortem examination or to inquest. So, for example, although in 2019 there were about 211,000 deaths reported to the coroner, there were 82,000 or so post-mortem examinations and 30,000 inquests. So all of the time, the system is triaging what must go through to what is a formal public hearing at an inquest. So in many cases, as you can discern from those figures, many of the cases which have gone to post-mortem examination are essentially discontinued and go no further. So that was one of the changes that the 2009 Act brought into effect, that even when the coroner has a case referred to them, and even having made preliminary inquiries and started an investigation, if on post-mortem examination, 
the cause of death is revealed as a natural cause, the coroner will end, discontinue the investigation unless there's something else implicated, something which may be of concern or which may potentially change the cause of death as a natural one to an unnatural one. And it's really important that coroners are constantly doing that sift and pushing through to inquest those cases which require that closer examination when questions can be asked. Thank you.